welcome back to Young Smart Money, show number six, with me, your host, Apple Kreider, the show that sets you up for lifelong financial success with personal stories and actionable advice that we certainly did not learn at school. So in this episode, we are coming back with Young Smart Money's second guest, Claire Rico McKee. Claire is a sophomore at Beloit College and somebody that I have known really since freshman year of high school, believe it or not, and have a ton of respect for. So a couple of weeks ago, I actually put out a call for guests to sort of message me and apply to be a guest on Young Smart Money. And Claire was one of the first people to respond and her response really stood out to me because she wanted to talk about the concept of need. Now, I don't know about you, but I know that I really toss around the word need without much thought. So this, this response really stood out for me. So our conversation is about the concept of need, but for time's sake, we didn't explicitly cover the financial aspect of need and took a more general approach. So as you listen to the show, think about how the concepts of need that we cover could be applied to your financial needs. For example, needing to make a certain amount of money or needing to have a certain amount of money or having things that you need to spend money on. But there's a lot to talk about, so let's just get into the conversation and welcome Claire to Young Smart Money. All right, guys, welcome back to Young Smart Money. Today we have Claire guesting. Um, and Claire, do you want to just tell us a little bit about yourself today? Yeah, totally. So um, I am a sophomore in high school. Nope. Okay. So, <laughs> so I am a sophomore in college. I just finished sophomore year. And I am studying psychology and critical identity studies, which is a major that's only offered at my school. Um, and it entails like it's basically the next level kind of of like gender women's studies and so it entails like gender and race relations and power dynamics throughout history and currently as well but um, I have a lot of interest in uh, anthropology like contemporary anthropology and also pop culture history kind of so um, something I would really like to do in life is make sure that like pop culture and the way that it reflects um, trends in society is something that is considered part of history because I think that it's really important and you can see a lot of things through that. Cool. Yeah. Super cool. Um, and I've known Claire pretty much throughout high school. Um, we had a couple classes together, so we go back a little ways. Um, so yeah, and she reached out to me, uh, wanting to be on the show talking about need. And when she said that, I sort of realized that I'd never really considered the word need. I mean, since like third grade when we distinguished needs from wants that was really the last time that i had like a discussion about the word need or thought about my needs like critically so i thought this would be a really good way because i feel like a lot of people are in the same boat where they don't really give much thought to the word need they sort of just throw it around all willy-nilly um when in reality there is like a deeper i feel like there's a pretty deep significance to this word and i think claire is going to be able to elaborate on that a lot so i thought it would be a really cool idea to have her on the show even though this is a bit different from the whole personal finance type thing i think it is still pretty relevant and pretty um i think it's gonna be pretty beneficial to you guys so that is why we are doing what we're doing so um what got you interested in the concept of need in the first place claire can you talk on that a little bit yeah totally so um i think there are really two primary influencers there's Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, which is something that I learned in my theory of knowledge class. It's talked about in psychology as well, and also like many philosophy courses. And so that is like uh, basically a pyramid, 
and it's all the things that you need in order to progress to the next level so there's like shelter and food and then eventually there's like self-actualization like realizing yourself at the top um and it's stated that you can't get to a next level until you've completed the ones below it so that always really interested me because I'm always interested in like, how can I be my best self? Also, it was talked about in Princess Diaries a lot, which mm. I read growing up. Um, so, well, Jung was talked about, but it's the same basic like self-actualization, how you're going to get there with your needs. Um, but then last semester or first semester of last year, I took a class called Anthropology of Consumer Society, which was an amazing course. And it was all about how we need to like think about how we're consuming and what capitalism is doing and instead of like your classic anthropology which is like going into other places and like looking at like exotic people and it has a lot of like exploitation and fetishization of people of like different races or people just who aren't in America um, this class was really focused on anthropology within America which is part of this whole like decolonization of anthropology which if anyone has the time to look it up I would highly recommend it's very interesting and I think that a lot of fields need to take into consideration how their field has been like colonized and whitewashed kind of anyway long rant but so we really addressed need a lot in that class and like constructed needs versus real needs and if there even is such thing as like real needs um, and at what point that like line blurs so yeah um, so you mentioned constructed needs and real needs. Can you talk a little bit about the difference between those? Because I know I'm not familiar and I would assume a lot of our audience would not be familiar as well. So yeah, as far as constructed need versus real needs, or sometimes people call them primary versus secondary needs or fabricated needs. So um, I think that it's really interesting to look at why we consider certain things necessities or primary needs and why we consider things secondary needs. And in the essay, The Ideological Genesis of Needs by Jean Bouillard, um, written in 1969, I'm going to just pull out a quote here. So this is a very good book. I highly recommend to anybody. It's called um, The Consumer Society Reader. And it's just like a huge collection of essays on consumerism and on capitalism. So. Um, this is from the ideological genesis of needs. Okay. Primary and secondary needs can be separated in order to refer the former back to animality, the latter to the immaterial. Or one can simply reverse the whole procedure by posturing primary needs as alone, objectively grounded, thus rational, and treat the others as subjectively vari variable, hence irrational. But this ideology is quite coherent in its overall features because it always defines man a priori as an essence or a rationality that social merely obscures. And so this is basically stating that like, when we look at primary and secondary needs, um, doing that is a means of saying like, okay, man existed like with this knowledge before anything. And these are the needs that are required and the social just obscures that. And okay. needs created by society just obscure that. But what we argued a lot in this class and what I believe and also what's like stated in this essay is that needs that are constructed by society that might be considered secondary needs are sometimes just as vital, especially when you're working within a system um, built on consumerism and built on uh, like production. Okay. Um, can you give us some examples of primary and secondary needs and just how like in in practice that what those can look like? Just so I have some context yeah, here. For sure. I'm gonna drink this water. So um, a good example of a primary need would be like food, shelter, things that are considered necessary for animals, you know? Um, a secondary need, however, might be like 
self-confidence or affirmation. Mm -hmm. um, people would consider those kinds of things as secondary needs. And then this is where secondary needs and fabricated needs, I believe, are sort of different. I mean, don't quote me on this, but I've only taken this class for a semester, but I feel pretty confident in it. So then fabricated needs are needs that aren't intrinsic to human existence, but they are just as much things that we need. And so, like, for example, tables, chairs. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't need tables and chairs to exist, mm -hmm. but they have become things that are a part of our society and that most people do require to, like, function or to get through the day. Okay, okay, I think I follow there. Um, and then can you talk on wants a little bit? Because I know a lot of people see this dichotomy between needs and wants. Um, but where do wants fit in with like your secondary needs and your fabricated needs? Where do wants fit in the picture? And I think that this is a really difficult discussion to have at any level, like even highest level academics, whatever, because you, when you are constantly bombarded with, for example, like advertising or with what's even more impactful is seeing other people use products. Mm. And so like mascara, for example, I have mascara on and like I, it doesn't really draw me in because of ads, but it's because other people use it, yeah. you know? And that tends to be a more powerful way of creating needs or wants than even like advertisements. But there are all these ways that we're taught we should be and that we see products in action, basically. And so I think that it gets really hard to know what a want is versus a need. One example of this that I discussed in a class called queer ethnography was talking about like facial feminization surgery for trans women mm. and lots of people would say like I don't think that people need facial feminization surgery and they shouldn't feel pressured to get it but when we're in this society where we look at someone's face and then we gauge like okay you're male you're female mm. then that is something that becomes a need for many people but it's so hard to see like is this my need or is this a need that I'm being told that I need? And is this a want or is this necessary to be respected in the gender that I am? Wow, all right. So yeah, there's definitely a lot more nuance here than I was familiar with before. I mean, obviously coming in didn't even know the difference between a primary and a secondary need. So I think this is a really valuable conversation already. I agree, yeah. Um, but moving on to the next question, um, can you tell us a little bit about just the word need, maybe where it comes from, how its use has maybe changed over time? Because it seems like today um, there is not as much nuance as you talk about in your class. It doesn't seem like that is really the, co the most common way that the word is used. It seems like it's really thrown around a lot more um, and not really thought about as much, at least by, by me at least. I don't really consider the word that much. So can you talk on that a little bit? Mm -hmm. So I'm not quite familiar with like great details about history of need, but um, something that is, I think, really important is the impact of the Industrial Revolution and advertising and what that had on need, because then people were being shown products that they had never seen before and thinking, I need this to function, and then things go, like, grow based around that. So people, like, moved out to the suburbs, right? And they started, like, selling all these suburban areas to white middle-class people, and then car sales went way up because everyone was living in the suburbs and was working in the city mm -hmm. and then people needed a car mm -hmm. 
and then they started being told okay now you have two people because like now women are liberated and now women can go to work mm -hmm. and so now you're going to need two cars for this family and people were like oh yeah of course because we can't like carpool that's inconvenient mm -hmm. you know so um i think that definitely increased products uh create more blurring between want and need and also like this is something that's talked about in the essay the culture industry enlightenment as mass deception which is written by theodore adorno and max horkemeyer it was from 1944 but it's like still very prevalent today and there's a lot of discussion of the way that once things become mass produced people feel that they need it more because they're able to access it like when just going to the theater, people didn't feel they needed to go to the theater, but then movies were being created and they were being replicated and people were like, okay, well like now, like I need to go see this movie or I need this car that's being mass produced. Okay. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. The whole concept of how advertising can sort of drive what we consider needs and the, blur the line between needs and wants. Um, it makes me think, I don't know, my first thought is just smartphones and how um, 10 years ago, like smartphones, there, there were Blackberries, but like mm -hmm. iPhones, none of that existed. So that wasn't a need that people had. But now today when you walk, when you go in public, I mean, nine times out of 10, you're going to see somebody has a smartphone. You're going to see they're using it all the time. So it seems like, at least to me, that the prevalence, like what, like we said, with the mass production of iPhones, now it does seem like those are a need, at least to some people, they would classify that as a need rather than a want. Um, do you have any thoughts with regard to like iPhones or just any, any current examples? In yeah, totally. Something that, okay, so picture this, sophomore year of high school, my parents don't want me to get an iPhone, too expensive, think it's a waste of time. But I got myself an iPod Touch, went down to GameStop, mm -hmm. got myself a good cheap iPod Touch, and I was ecstatic because I could finally see my email without having to sit down and log into the computer. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God. And so I was getting these updates, like I was in a show and I got the cast list sent and I could see it in class. And I was like, this is amazing. And now I'm at the point where professors will like send out notifications. They'll send out emails, like class is canceled or class has moved to this location, sometimes like 20 minutes beforehand or oh, less, yeah. you know? And if you don't have your phone on you, with email notifications, like you're probably not gonna know that, like you're yeah. gonna be screwed. And I think that that's something that like, I do often want to like not be using my phone, yeah. but it's become so important in the way that I interact with the world. And like my work schedule, like the only ways that I get notifications about uh, whether I'm cut or not, because I work in the service industry, I work at a restaurant. So um, it's all about like how busy it is, what customers are coming in. And so if I'm cut or not, the only way that I can get notifications and know that is if I have the app, mm -hmm. which I had to purchase for like $3 um, and my work didn't cover. And I mean, it's $3 and I can spare that, but I still think that's kind of bogus. Mm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's how ingrained certain things are, like like with your, with your professors, you were saying how they just expect that if they send out an email 20 minutes before class, people are going to have their smartphone on them. They're going to have email access, even if they're already like commuting to class, or if they're already on their way. Mm -hmm. There's just that assumption that people will have access. So that is sort of, it, at least to me, it has turned the iPhone and just like a smartphone in general, some kind of internet accessible device into more of a need than a want, at least the way I see things 
Um, next thing we're going to hop into is when I just Google the word need, I get a lot of different results and a lot of like conflicting messages. So three of the ones that stood out to me uh, for a definition of need. The first one was require something because it is essential or very important. The next one was a thing that is wanted or required. And the third definition I got was something that is required for a safe, stable, and healthy life. Mm -hmm. So can you talk a little bit on sort of the different ways that need is defined and just why why that might be? Because I know a lot of words are just very like straightforward, but it seems like here there's a lot of nuance, even among like dictionaries um, across mm -hmm. the internet. Yeah. Well, I think it goes down to need being like an old word. Like it's a word that's been used a lot and it's a word that has many different like connotations and it's interesting to me that like dictionaries acknowledge that I like when they acknowledge that you know and you don't have to just have your own like street smarts interpretation okay so something that I think addresses that really well is uh, Theodore W Adorno and Max Horkemeyer's essay the culture industry uh, enlightenment as mass deception which I mentioned before it was written in 1944 and like this is me using academics to back up my own thoughts but uh, trust me I do have my own brain <laughs> um, so this essay addresses a lot the way that things become necessary to function and so like you're saying here something that is required uh, required for a safe stable and healthy life and I also want to bring up something that my friend Ellen was talking to me about the other day and about how capitalism creates mental illness mm. which I think is very true because so as someone with depression and ADHD I have recognized my whole life that if I wasn't in the school structure that I was in I wouldn't need to be medicated for my ADHD and most people stop taking ADHD medication after graduating college because they no longer need it because they get into jobs where they're able to function without that so for example like I need to take it because I can't focus on just one thing I want to do like a million things or else I hyper focus on one thing and I don't know how to divvy up my time mm. so I take it to get that balance but like when I'm at work here like I just have to focus on that job and mm. I can do whatever I want or when I'm researching for this I can just focus on this and I can be like all in mm -hmm. but it's all because of the way that society is structured the education is structured that creates this need for ADHD medication and so that's like a consumer good that now is needed in order to get those good grades in order to like be in class and not feel like an idiot I mean this is just me talking from personal experience but then also like depression a lot of the times we we're talking about how like so my friend gets really depressed and she is able to if she takes 20 minutes out of her day and meditates it's like gone and she's fine wow. and um, a lot of times so as a psychology student I know these things so um, therapy is just at, like talk therapy is just as effective as medicine for depression for many mental illnesses with the exception of like some more severe ones like schizophrenia bipolar disorder stuff like that but it's especially equally as effective for depression and the thing here is that people aren't seeking talk therapy as much as they're seeking medication because they don't have time because when you're in this capitalist society and you're constantly needing to produce and be using your time to make money instead of caring for yourself, you aren't going to learn those tools. And so then that also goes back to big pharma and the like overdiagnosis of depression right now. And I'm not saying that like if you're diagnosed with depression, it's not real because I mean, I totally believe it's real, but we're just getting into this world where people are able to take less and less time for themselves and then they're needing to result to like turn to medication and I mean I'm medicated I'm all for medication I'm not anti-medication but I think that 
it's primarily the structure of our society that makes us need that. Anyway, if you have any thoughts on that, then I can touch on this essay. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think we keep coming back to how society sort of sets these standards that become ingrained and then create new needs. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's really, really interesting. I never thought about that before, how um, just the way that society is structured can bring about things that become new needs that previously like didn't exist. So I think medication, I think that's a really good example. And I wasn't even really thinking um, that this conversation would go there. But um, yeah, I was just curious um, what what your thoughts are. I mean, you sort of covered on it a little bit, but like just the medicalization of so many different things. Like you said, you're pro um, medication, but like, yeah. is there is there a limit to that? Do you think is there are there situations where um, medication is being like overutilized or do you think that we're not doing enough what do you think about that yeah so um i think a good way of addressing this is also through adhd once again many children are diagnosed with adhd at a very young age and put on medication immediately and then nothing else is done mm -hmm. and there's actually a book called like the myth of adhd or adhd is not real which the first time i saw it at barnes and noble i was like this is a personal attack oh my <laughs> god but basically it's the argument that a lot of psychologists have that actually like my therapist has that adhd is just used with especially younger children as a cover-up something that can be quickly diagnosed instead of addressing a deeper problem mm. and so i think that that goes into like how rapid we need to deal with things too um and i also am like a very spiritual person like my throat's been really bothering me lately and i could be taking claritin but i know that it's like my throat chakra's out of line and also it was just taurus season and like taurus rules like the throat and so and rules communication and so i know that i need to like work on communicating better and work on aligning my throat chakra and being like very straightforward with things and i think that that's something that really gets looked down upon because we so value science here like in the west you know and if people are doing more spiritual healing like they're like oh that's like a load of crap mm -hmm. like that's irrelevant when it does produce a lot of effective results like we were just learning in my cross-cultural psychology class that spiritual healing and stuff can produce the same kinds of results as like medication or talk therapy and basically all that's needed in order to have effective results in therapy or spiritual healing is the doctor and the patient have to have a consensus on what they're being diagnosed with mm -hmm. there has to be a diagnosis mm -hmm. and there has to be a means of fixing that of improving that mm -hmm. and be that like laying a bunch of stones in a circle and like reciting some things or like burning sage and like putting stones like on your chakra points or something like that it can be just as effective as talk therapy for example that's really interesting i think I, you're totally right that so many people um at least in the circles that i associate myself with um they write off um non-western like practices of healing so anything mm -hmm. that's not like coming in a prescription bottle or anything that's not like from walgreens mm -hmm. um is immediately written off as like that hippie hippie stuff and like that's not going to work for me i'm just going to go and talk to the doctor get myself a prescription and i'll get better that way so i think that is really interesting and 
I think it does show that medication really has become sort of a need, whereas it seems like there are multiple solutions to the problem, mm -hmm. but it seems like one solution has been picked like as the need. So like you were saying before, with cars and like getting to work in the Industrial Revolution, um, people sort of, they had this issue where, okay, I have to get to work, I have to make money. How am I gonna get to work? Well, these cars are now being mass produced and mass advertised, so I think I better buy a car. Um, but there are multiple solutions to that problem, especially today, where if you need to get to work, if you live in a city, you could drive, you could walk, you could bike, you could take public transportation. But yet a lot of people still think that that car is a necessity. Um, so I think that is really interesting how people sort of zone in, it seems like, on one solution to a problem and deem that as a necessity, whereas there might be multiple. Do you have something? I do. Thoughts on that? I have a lot of thoughts on this. Okay. So post-World post War II, uh, is when they really pushed the idea of the nuclear family, right? Because all these soldiers were coming back and they were like, okay, everyone settle down, like get your wife, time to have babies, etc. And that at the same time is when privatization became a huge thing. And so instead of people waiting for the train or waiting for a bus together, they were like, it is more convenient to have a car and you need a car. And so you can see that privatization has like grown even further by the way that like you'll have three cars in a household of like three people, like the kid's car, both the parents' cars. And then now public transportation and stuff is like losing a lot of money and losing a lot of funding. And it comes down also to how busy we are because if you have to like get up and go and catch the bus, as somebody who often fails to catch the bus to work and has to take an Uber, um, I can speak from experience, but it's so much more difficult to align your life with the lives of others and with a schedule that is not your own. And I think that that really connects to this book that I read in senior year of high school called The End of Food, mm. uh, which was very interesting. And my primary takeaway from it was that family life used to revolve around the family mm. and life used to revolve around the family. But now it all revolves around the business, be that your job and your job hours that are strict or as a student, like your homework and your extracurriculars, which are basically your job, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, kind of it's really reconstructed every aspect of life and this is even since like the 60s and obviously this is a very privileged view of it like in the book it was like oh yeah like back in like the 50s and 60s like life ran around the family instead of around the job but that's obviously like white middle class people who yeah. could have life run that way you know mm -hmm. um and another example i think is great is just cell phones in general like we had our public phones phone booths whatnot and now like they're all uprooted and gone because everyone's expected to have a cell phone but what if you didn't have a cell phone how could you still be con like it's you can't yeah i think that's yeah those are some really valuable points and i'm just i'm learning a lot today i don't know about you guys I'm really but really passionate about this stuff <laughs> so i'm glad to be here i'm glad to have you here um so let's talk about needs and necessity. So do you see a distinct difference between the term need and necessity? Because I mean, back at my Google research that I was doing, um, I saw the word necessity as defined as something that was um, that you can still survive without. So it's not technically required for survival. And then need was defined as something that is required for survival. So can you talk on that a little bit? Because I was a bit confused there. Yeah. So that's actually really interesting to me because when I think of a necessity, I think of it as being more crucial than a need. Hmm. And I think that's just the way that the words are used now. Mm -hmm. um, because you do hear, as you've been saying, you do hear needs so much. Yeah. But like a necessity 
Like, that sounds crucial to me. But when I think about that kind of definition, that makes me think of more, like, primary versus secondary needs, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But, yeah, that's really interesting to me, the way that that's been warped, at least for me. I don't know. Do you perceive them? Like, how is your perception before reading that? Yeah, before that, I definitely did feel that necessity was sort of a stronger word because, again, it's not thrown around as much. Mm -hmm. Like, people say, I need this, I need that. But people don't say... Um, like this is a necessity for me to have an iPhone. This is a necessity for me to, I don't know, make a certain amount of money at my job. Um, but people, yeah, people throw around the word need a lot more than necessity. So I, I do think that, um, yeah, my, my perception definitely doesn't line up with the definition that I found. Yeah. And I think that that honestly could just come down to a matter of syllables and complexity and grammar. (laughs) And like, it's easier to say like, oh yeah, I need this. than like this item is a necessity, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. All right, so I don't have too much. I got a couple questions left for you, and then anything else that you want to make sure we hit on, we can definitely do that as well. All right, so jumping into a little bit more actionable stuff for our listeners, um, what are some steps that you think listeners can take to ensure that they speak more purposefully, um, especially around things like needs, necessities, wants, stuff like that? What What are some strategies you think people can take to make sure that they're speaking in ways that sort of reflect the deeper meanings of these words? Yeah. Um, So I think that it can be really hard to change your language, especially when those around you are using different language. Um, For example, if you're saying, oh, yes, I want this, but a majority of your friends are saying, like, need, then that's difficult to make your, like, desires as impactful as theirs, you know? And that comes down also to the way that, like, Americans really over-exaggerate things. Like, people from other countries come here and they're like, you are using a lot of very emotional words very often. Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, a lot of people think that we're superficial for that, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that makes it especially hard to navigate. So more importantly, although I do believe speaking is, like, a very important step in order to actually, like, act that way and in order to change your mentality, but I think a first step is honestly just thinking about what you want versus what you need and how bad you want it because I what I really want people to do and what I really took away from this class is to realize that wants can become needs and as someone who is extremely frugal but also loves material goods the fact that I've been thinking about these pair of shoes that I really want for three years and I still haven't bought them makes me think that like okay maybe this is something that I need you know And I think that so many things are viewed as through utilitarian lens and like things are only needs when they can be used and that's like the bare minimum. Mm -hmm. Like they don't need to be beautiful. They don't need to necessarily be comfortable. They don't need to be like exactly what you want, but if it's usable, it's fine. Mm -hmm. But I think that it's really important for people to be able to indulge themselves in certain ways. And for example, like if you're really concerned about the way that your like forks and knives and silverware is arranged in your drawer Mm -hmm. and you have like a flimsy little thing made out of cardboard which is how I make all my organizers um then like if that bothers you looking at that then you should go out and buy like a plastic thing Mm -hmm. or modify the cardboard thing in some way I like to spray paint it or cover it in duct tape or something like that Mm -hmm. um and I think that just being conscious that sometimes you think that things you say you need sometimes you think it's irrational but know that like there is rationality in that because of the way that 
things really do have an emotional impact on us, like regardless of whether it makes sense from a utilitarian point of view or not. I think that's really interesting, the point you brought up about how things, you can need something more than just the, the bare function it provides, because again, that's not something that I had thought about. Um, I guess, yeah, that just the difference between say something out of cardboard and something out of plastic that would have sort of I, I would have associated that with a want before but now now that you bring up the emotional side of that um and just how that can still be a need i think that's really really crucial and i think it's yeah it's, it's just an interesting thing to think about how um it's more than just the utility that goes into making something a need um because again that's not something that i thought about before um yeah, so I think that's mostly what we wanted to hit on in this. Um, is there anything that we missed, anything about needs that you still think is really important to get through to people or that people should have like a like a solid takeaway to go home with? Um, anything else you want to speak on? Yeah, so I just kind of want to pull some parts from this essay that I keep forgetting to talk about because I think it really easily and coherently addresses the way that needs and wants get blurred. Um, and so it opens up with the sociological theory that the loss of the support of objectively established religion, disillusion of the last remnants of pre-escapism together with technological and social differentiation or specialization have led to cultural chaos is disproved every day for culture now impresses the same stamp on everything. And so that's basically saying like people are always like, oh yeah, like we've separated ourselves from religion. We've separated ourselves from these structures that are like non-physical and unrelated to capitalism and that has destroyed our culture and we've separated ourselves from our like primal needs and that has destroyed like what we are as people and while i think that it is very valid to say that and to be like we're wrapped up in this really detrimental consumer society is important but also this is arguing that like it didn't ruin everything because now culture impresses this value on everything and like even abandoning those things like religion and whatnot like there's still value in our um consumer society and in the way that culture influences consumerism and so it's like basically from old established systems to consumption and things can be just as necessary there does that make sense yeah yeah i think i think i follow along I with that used a lot of words but yeah yeah um, and so then another like main argument of this is that just like everything passes through this culture industry and that is how things get value and it's because like we're in an ever-changing world and so what people needed like before culture was the way it is now like what people needed like Neanderthals needed stuff like that you know mm -hmm. that was a different world that we were living in and navigating yeah. in and so it means that we have different needs now in this structure. Wow, there are like so many different conversations that I just want to have right now because there's like so much new stuff that's just like popping up. But I think this was really good and I think we will end it off right here. Um, I think I think there was a ton here. I'm going to go back and listen to this like three times because there's just so much cool stuff here that I want to like reprocess. Um, so thank you guys very much for sticking around. Um, Claire, where can people find out more about you or just what you're up to or anything if people want to follow up with you? Yeah, um, to follow up with me, I'd say find me on Twitter, I guess. Um, it is creek 1601 so c-r-e-k 1601 my good old uh 
grade school and high school login. And then also like if you're wanting to read more about this kind of want versus need stuff, I would highly recommend the Consumer Society Reader, which is edited by Juliet B. Shore and Douglas B. Holt, as well as um, Purchasing Power by Elizabeth Chin. It was published by University of Minnesota Press, so local. Um, But it's really great. It's about like black children and the way that they navigate consumerism when so many places like aren't structured for them. Cool. I'll be sure to provide links to both of those um, in the show notes, in the YouTube description, all those good places. So you can definitely find out more about those books if you're at all interested. Um, Claire, thank you very much for stopping by on the show. I really do appreciate it. And I hope to uh, have you back soon. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I had a great time. Thanks. Well, now I have a ton of new questions running through my head, but I did learn a ton and I hope you did as well. Let me know what you thought of this show format as well. I'm thinking that adding a guest to the show pretty regularly could be a good addition. Maybe having like two episodes a month with a guest, two episodes a month with me, but who knows? Let me know what you think. Um, You can always shoot me an email at apple at applecrater.com or leave me feedback on the podcast as a YouTube video, really wherever you can find me because I really do appreciate it. And I think that adding a guest really does make the show more interesting unless I'm just listening to my voice every single week if you do get tired of that. And also, what do you think of this video style? If you're watching on YouTube, let me know if you like the video format of the podcast because in the past they have just been audio, but now we're adding in some video components. So let me know what you think of that as well if you're over on the YouTube. And for our money pun of the day, why was the toucan sad? He was stuck with a large bill. Next week, we will be back with the seventh installment of Young Smart Money. But if you can't wait until then for your next hit of financial literacy content and money skills, you are in luck because I have a load of free resources for you. The first of which is my free course called $100 and a Smartphone. It's a 45 minute video lecture course that really guides you through how to invest your first $100 with only your smartphone, completely free. Find it at applecreator.com slash course. Secondly, just my website where you can find the show notes as well. That'll be applecreator.com. For the show notes, it'll be applecreator.com slash 006. And lastly, you can find me on YouTube where I have over 150 daily personal finance and entrepreneurship related uploads for high school and college students. So guys, I'd like to thank you for checking out Young Smart Money with me, your host, Apple Kreider. And before I go, I would like to challenge you to reflect on your financial needs and how you came to believe those ideas were actual needs. So are there certain significant financial numbers for you, be those net worth or salary or otherwise? And where did those numbers come from and what would achieving those numbers signify for you. I know that personally, since the age of about five, I had this idea that you couldn't become rich unless you were making $100,000 a year. And that once you sort of reached that number, you had sort of made it. But now I realize that there are many paths towards building wealth, many of which don't rely heavily, if at all, on locking down a secured high salary job. And honestly, I think this idea came from, as random as it is, the game of life, the actual board game, because I really was, as a kid, and still sort of am, a big fan of board games, and the game of life was definitely a staple in my childhood home. And in the game, the best salary to get was a doctor who made $100,000 
And if you had that job, it was just much easier to be successful in the game, to win the game, to sort of just get ahead. And because of that, I think this sort of drove that idea in my head that you sort of needed to make $100,000 a year in order to be successful financially. So I think in the back of my head, this idea has sort of always been there, and that's where the significance around the $100,000 salary sort of came about. But do you guys have any examples like this as well? I would love to hear them. If so, let me know. Again, apple at applecreator.com is a great way to reach me. You could DM me on Instagram, send me a Facebook message, wherever you find me. Send me your thoughts. I would love to hear from you guys and I love engaging with you as well. So guys, do not forget to subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes. I really would appreciate it. And I will be highlighting reviews and feedback in the next episode. For Young Smart Money, my name is Apple Crider. I will see you next week.